welcome to Black Body Health, the podcast. This is the show where we come together to talk about the intersection of our health and our culture. Podcasting from South Louisiana, this is Brittany Castine, preacher, pastor, political junkie, and now podcaster. And I am Ideal Ortiz, your co-host with Brittany, hailing from the Bull City and a longtime public health advocate. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Black Body Health, the podcast. This is episode number 23. New program, Who This? Emerging Work at the Center for Black Health and Equity. This is your host, Brittany Castine and Ideal Ortiz. Let's get started. So today we have with us a new staff person at the Center for Black Health and Equity. Yay! We are going to welcome Shayla Compton, and I want her to tell us a little bit about herself and the work she's going to be doing at a new program that is being housed at the Center for Black Health and Equity. Welcome, Shayla. Thank you for the welcome. It's a pleasure to be here in the space and uh, joining the center family. So I am the new program manager. Primarily my work is housed under tobacco, everything public policy, supporting a grassroots coalition work that's going on all over the states. And the Mayavant grant project here for uterine fibroids, it's a passion project. Uh, This is something that has personally affected my life as well as close friends and family. And moving to South Carolina during the middle of the pandemic um, definitely presented some challenges with taking the best care of myself. And I came here from the great state of Alaska, which is home. And I've just really enjoyed the process, the journey with being here in this space in the center and being able to explore more on this topic and uh, do my part in raising more awareness about it. So you mentioned that you have been um, impacted personally by uterine fibroids and that your work centers mostly around that. Can you tell our audience exactly what that is? Yes. So uterine fibroids are non-cancerous tumors, which can also be called fibromyomas, leomyomas, or just simply myomas. Um, They are growth of smooth muscle that often grows on or around the uterus or within the uterine wall. Um, You can have multiple uh, fibroids. Uh, They can be as small as a pea. They can be as large as a small watermelon. And the impact they have on the lives of women, and I want to be sure when I say women, that's an expansive definition. So this isn't just for cisgender women. This is for transgender women. Anyone who has a uterus and is currently experiencing, you know, menstruation, this is something that can impact their life. So that's at the very basic level of what uterine fibroids are. Thank you for the definition specifically of uterine fibroids, but I do want to make sure that we're really, really clear about some nomenclature for today, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever your, we need to be clear that sex and gender are different things and that what sex you are assigned at birth um, is often predicated on the body parts that a doctor sees on you at your birth. 
<laughs> and that does not always correspond to your gender expression. So thank you for explaining that anyone who has a uterus, and in this case, that might be transgendered men any or non-binary people um, can have a uterus. And so if you have a uterus, you can be impacted by uterine fibroids. And I only bring that up because I know it's important for us to know that the care people need for their uterus isn't always going to be specific to talking specifically to cisgendered women. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for underscoring that point as well. And so how, how does uterine fibroids affect the black community these days? Are there like disparities in the treatment and diagnoses or access to care around this particular issue? Various levels. So I'll try to summarize um, how it impacts, you know, disproportionately for African-American women in the United States. So between the ages of 18 and 30, Black women in this country make up about a quarter of all diagnoses for uterine fibroids compared to 6% among white women. By the time Black women reach the age of 35, that likelihood increases to 60%. And the causes behind uterine fibroids, it's there's not any direct known. There's definitely some risk factors that have been identified, everything from the overpresence of estrogen, you know, hormones. Um, there's also been talks, you know, about um, obviously um, larger uh, burdens of stress, um, generational, um, the stress that's passed through trauma. And so there's definitely this disproportionate burden that's there for Black women. And as you mentioned before, um, someone who may not, especially in the medical field, present as femme or feminine, they're often underdiagnosed for uterine fibroids and is often associated as maybe just, ex, um, you know, experiencing generalized pain. Um, and because this is a topic, you know, with menstruation specifically isn't widely talked about, even within family members or smaller circles of friends, a lot of times the symptoms, heavy bleeding, um, starting with menstruation, starting menstruation at a younger age, they're seen as normal. And so this impacts starting at adolescence. Um, you might see some abnormalities there with menstruation entering into adulthood. Um, you could also see some challenges with infertility, especially if you have large uterine fibroids that grow within the uterine wall. Um, that can have some um, issues around um, conceiving a child or even carrying a child to full term because of multiple miscarriages related to uterine fibroids. And I also want to point out um, when discussion around uterine fibroids does come up, especially um, for women of childbearing age, it's often just seen as a reproductive health issue. And I say, no, you've got whole person health, sexual health and well-being is important for everyone. And so this can also impact for women who have a diagnosis of uterine fibroids. There's often the stigma around shame or embarrassment. Um, it can really affect your self-esteem. Um, some of the uterine fibroids can grow particularly large and actually cause the uterus um, to kind of pudge out a little bit, where some women who have a, you know, a thinner frame, it's more obvious where it can look like they're in a second or third trimester of pregnancy, 
And it's really just the you know, pressure on the abdomen with the uterine fibroids. And that also extends to um, intimacy issues there where it can be issues with um, pain in the pelvic region related to that, um, having to urinate more frequently. So might have some people um, experience, you know, early, uh, what they feel early signs of incontinence. So that going all the way into um, treatment options, uh, another disproportionate burden is that when people often receive a diagnosis, even in their early 20s, um, overwhelmingly it's presented to have a hysterectomy. So to remove the uterus, in some cases, the uterus, the cervix, and even the ovaries um, as a measure to stop the growth of the uterine fibroids and to remove the fibroids as well, which of course, when you remove those reproductive organs, you could be sending someone into early menopause. So those are factors that can expand everywhere from the adolescence, adulthood, and even to your later age that can have impacts on your health. My goodness, like you have just taught me some things. Like I did not know that the symptom of feeling like you need to urinate more often is connected to uterine fibroids. I'd had actually never heard of that. And I know, you know, as I hear you talking, Shayla, just my mind is like ricocheting because I know there's all of this discussion in the medical field about how the pain of black women is, um, just black femme identified people, um, and black people in general, if we're going to be honest, is not taken seriously or registers as something that should be addressed properly in medical care. There is a longstanding set of practices built by the bias that black people can just sustain pain, uh, without affecting them longer, (laughs) which I don't know where people get that. Like what in the world? Who came up with that? But um, it just makes me think that if we already have a context where pain is not taken seriously by our medical providers and also um, pain isn't being discussed amongst us because we just know there's no place to get it resolved um, just among our own families and networks and kinship, um, it just makes me wonder like what... (laughs) just like, how do people even go about having the conversation about how this pain that they're having, that they just accept as the normal run of life, how to even begin to start peeling apart what is connected to a potential serious kind of diagnosis that you do need to have um, treated and what is normal. I mean, I just, I feel like we're so far away from even knowing where the line is, especially in the black community. I just, I just know that no one's ever talked to me about pain outside of cramps, you know, connected to my um, uterus or my cervix or anything like that. Absolutely. It's not discussed enough um, within the frame of people understanding, like if you are menstruating and you're going through the most absorbent of feminine hygiene products within a couple of hours, that is not normal. Um, that is a problem. Yeah. So we're really hoping, um, and that's the starting point for conversation. You talked about experiencing the pain, uh, the cramps, um, also going to have, as far as, you know, things with people missing work or just feeling like they can't participate in everyday activities. That's where we want to start with this project we have about elevating that conversation 
and inclusive spaces, doing some online conversations. And we wanna help to break down, like you mentioned about the medical mistrust. And we talk about uterine fibroids and the overrepresentation of black women with hysterectomies. That also delves back into some of the origins of what's the current US medical practice for gynecology. If you look at the roots, the studies, you talked about pain, um, black women's pain being um, silenced, a lot of the origins of uh, practices around surgery were first started by enslaved African women without anesthesia. And so this moving along to current day, there's still problems with bias. There's still problems with um, medical care access, as well as when you do get in front of a medical provider, um, knowing how to advocate for yourself, the right questions to ask, and also what to ask of your provider if you still feel like they're not listening to your concerns. So this is one of the goals that we have um, with the project that we're launching is having an inclusive space where people can ask these questions and really help to pick away at some of that medical mistrust. So they're not suffering in silence and they actually go and seek out the options because um, not everyone, um, the first option should never just be a hysterectomy. There are a lot of non-invasive options that are available that can help to address those issues. And some, for some people, it might be medical intervention. For others, it might be observation. Let's wait and see, but continue to monitor if the growth of uterine fibroids just grows at a very um, large rate in a short period of time. That's what they want to look at. And I think we just want to make people aware that there are options that they can explore. You know, this is really, really fascinating. And yeah, so clearly for me, I, I don't have a great deal of uh, historical knowledge on this topic. I'm fascinated by all of the things that you presented just a moment ago to Ideal. And one of the things that stood out to me the most was the notion of a hysterectomy sort of being the first set of surgeries, first set of options that's presented by medical professionals to women. Um, you know, clearly that is, that draws all sorts of ethical flags for me. And that is unfortunately a part of a pattern that we've seen across many different conditions um, that women uh, African-American women, Black women in particular, um, experience in the, you know, medical world. And so I, that's one of the reasons we know why there's great mistrust there and why many people, many Black women often don't um, go to doctors as much as they may need to because of some of those issues uh, in the medical field. But I'm really curious around the whole advocacy piece. And as, you know, as a male, um, as a male who is heterosexual, um, you know, what do, what do I, what kinds of conversations should I have with the women in my life, with the, 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 my wife, my partner, my spouse, you know, how can I be most supportive, uh, as I find, you know, women in that particular situation and on the other side, as a person who is, you know, aligned in public health. What are some of the policies that you know about just generally or even some of the best practices that we can advocate for uh, to ensure that women ha have the ability to have advocates and options? Absolutely. So I would say um, maybe first starting at an interpersonal level for um, the people in your life um, who might be experiencing uterine fibroids. I think the first thing is to take their expressions of pain 
um, really kind of be open to that and, you know, listen to them providing resources um, that are there. And because a lot of people, they just don't know where the resources are. They have no idea. And that could extend from everything from just building a better understanding that maybe what you're experiencing here, it has a name. So I think providing the resources so that people don't feel like, oh, I'm just, this is just my normal day to day. And that's just it. I'm just going to deal with it you know, suck it up and keep it moving. Um, I think so helping people to identify the resources. The other part, once a problem has actually been detected, you know, a diagnosis of uterine fibroids, um, if you can make sure that they do ask those questions about um, what they're seeing in terms of, you know, an ultrasound is usually recommended um, for detection, understanding the size and the location of uterine fibroids. Make sure that they receive that recommendation and have them ask the question of what are my options in terms of treatment for my uterine fibroids and have um, them express to the providers about how this is impacting their life the day to day. Um, I was thankful that my provider, when I received my diagnosis, really ask me those questions of how is this impacting my life day to day and not just, you know, discomfort around menstruation. Um, and didn't just stop at the conversation about um, if I intended to have children in the future. And it was really a whole wraparound. So I think really encouraging people to ask those questions as it relates to um, how uterine, uterine fibroids are impacting their life in the here and now and their optimal health for the future. I think it's a big part. And then at a larger level, community level, I think in the same way where we advocate for people to make sure um, HIV testing of women, HPV testing, um, sexual reproductive health, this should be something that should also be included there as well. So I think if you have a chance to work with providers, uh, make sure you put that information in hand to them and have them think about ways they can ensure they have the screening practices, especially in communities where there is a larger representation of black women to make sure that that is um, there in place. And then as far as policy legislation, uh, Vice President you know, Kamala Harris, she is putting forward some legislation to actually raise more awareness and put funding um, through NIH to focus on fibroids. And I would also encourage look um, within the community where you live um, as well as nationally and identify some of the great organizations that are doing this work. So the center, we're hoping to kind of elevate this conversation because uterine fibroids definitely um, sexual reproductive health definitely fits in alignment with our larger portfolio of chronic disease prevention. So that's where our intention is here, but there's great organizations that exist, such as the White Dress Project, uh, the Resilient Sisterhood Project, there's a couple others, um, Fibroid Fighters, the Fibroid Center. Uh, there are many others nationally that are doing really great work in helping to educate and raise awareness, as well as helping people at the state or local level within their communities um, to raise more awareness about uterine fibroids. I really love the way you position this as like a full spec part of a, a full spectrum of care. This isn't just for people who are trying to get pregnant that need to be listening up. This is not just, Hey, like it, it, you're really giving me a framework here for the fact that, you know, yeah. Like if you're having these issues, 
anyone with a uterus who's having these issues is missing days of work. And Lord knows we don't need that. You know, you're having to potentially go to the doctor more often, which during a pandemic can feel like an anxiety inducing event. Um, It just feels like it's a lot of money out the pockets of people who need to be keeping their coins in their pockets <laughs> mm-hmm. um, at a time of great uncertainty and where there's always uh, another place for your, for your money to go. Um, usually maintaining, you know, basic needs. Um, so the lack of research on this or the lack of support for this could be really detrimental in the lives of individual people. Um, I know that we are going to post for our listeners, the resources that you just mentioned when we, I have this up on the website and I know that we'll be putting more on the center for black health and equities website as the program gets rolling. So please tell us with the last few minutes that we have with you before you go, um, what does the center want to accomplish with this myovant grant? I hope I'm saying that right. Myovant grant. <laughs> it sounds like I'm trying to spit bars now. Um, and so <laughs> what do y'all want to accomplish and um, what should listeners expect as the program gets rolling? Absolutely. So we are excited. In October, we are going to launch the first of three solutions in practice, our sip and share sessions. We're going to be online conversations. A okay, chance for sip people. And share. Okay, yeah, sip, sip and share. share. Sip, sip and share. Um, there are going to be three online conversations, and really the focus is to address medical mistrust. We're going to bring in some great providers um, who are going to provide some 101 conversation as well, uh, or sorry, 101 um, education about uterine fibroids, as well as help people to be in a safe, inclusive space to ask questions about, like I said, what do I need to know to advocate for myself when I go and I meet with my provider? Or what resources or information can I have um, to better educate, you know, family and friends about, you know, how this is potentially impacting their life and what I can do to support them. So we're going to host one in October, another in December, and the final one in December. And we're going to have these be a very live, um, energetic space um, where we want people to come together, bring in their full selves and ask their questions, um, share stories. And we're really just hoping that this is a space that we can apply a way of you know, culturally bringing people together and um, just sharing and raising the conversation about uterine fibroids. So we're looking forward to that, um, having some incredible guest speakers um, that are covering not only the medical aspects, but also, I mentioned advocating for yourself and one that I may be a little bit biased towards, um, having a guest speaker that's really going to talk to um, food as medicine and how uterine fibroids and the management as well as the prevention, um, also bringing in some of the Western medicine aspects that we can take in to care for ourselves. Um, So we're really excited to bring all these pieces together and share them with everyone. Well, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation and you you have enlightened us and I'm sure our listeners a great deal Um, So Shayla, once again, welcome to the center. Um, I know that you're going to hit the ground running and I look forward to having additional conversations with you and hearing about some of the great work that you're doing and the work that you're doing with other partners across this 
country. Thanks everybody for tuning in with us today um, at Black Body Health, the podcast. This was episode number 23, new program. Well, that wraps up this episode of Black Body Health, the podcast. Until next time, this is your co-host, Brittany. And ideal. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.